may be seated. Good morning, and welcome to First Universalist Church. If you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. You've picked a great Sunday to be with us. We are celebrating our 150th birthday today. Yes. And it is wonderful to see so many of the children in here with us. Children, we are glad you're here celebrating this day with us. Yes. And if you want a full day of church festivities and activities and adventure, 2 p.m. this afternoon will be my ordination and installation, and you're all invited back for more celebration. Yeah. It is great to see all of you here. This place is full. Hello, balcony people. (laughs) A word about our processional today. It was made up of past board presidents of the church, as well as ministers and seminarians who are connected to and affiliated with First Universalist. The lay and professional ministry of this church is alive and well. Since 1859, thanks to strong ministers and strong lay leaders, this church has held high the flame of the liberal spirit in the Twin Cities. As a church, we exist to provide comfort through our universalist message of love and hope, transformation through our embrace of spiritual exploration and growth, and engagement with the wider community as we seek justice in this world. A word about today. This celebration and so many of the events of this past year, including the sesquicentennial kickoff a year ago, the 150th soiree in April, the all-church picnic in August, not to mention a DVD and book that will be available for sale next week, none of those things would have happened without the dedication and hard work of the 150th steering committee. I would invite you, as well as Nancy and Karen on the chancel, to please rise and be recognized for the work that you have done. This committee caught a piece of this church's DNA, which is a love of its universalist history. It was laying dormant, but John Cummins, in conversation with Karen Willie and others, said, our 150th is coming up. What are you going to do? And these people stepped forward and led that effort and energy, and I thank you for that work. I also would like to recognize some of our special guests here this morning. There are some among us who have served First Universalist as staff in the past, including religious educators, Luella Neustrom and Nancy Carlson, Jim Hart, music director, and Sharon, let me get through this and we can acknowledge all of them, uh, Sharon Mache, office administrator. Also among us is Marie Olson Seitz, daughter of Minister Carl Olson. Nancy Carter Meikle, daughter of former board president Don Carter. She's here with her husband Jim from Maine. Also here is the Reverend Derek Kiwat and the Reverend Catherine Hawbaker. Nancy Heggie, the district executive of the Prairie Star District, is one of our honored guests. And the Reverend Meg Riley, 
the Unitarian Universalist Association's Director of Faith and Action. Would all of those I have named please rise so we may recognize and celebrate you. Truly, today is a celebration. We know that no human being can live to be 150 years old, but that an institution, when tended to with love and care and resources and dreams from hands and hearts of the past and hands and hearts of today, when an institution is tended to, that it can grow strong beyond its founder's wildest dreams. Welcome. To the celebration. Our call to worship this morning is adapted from words spoken on October 23, 1949, at the dedication of our new building at 50th and Girard in honor of First Universalist 90th anniversary. These are words adapted from the Reverend Carl Olson. As a place of light, we set aside this house as a place where many shall find the truth that makes us free. As a place of goodwill, we set apart this house as a place where many shall dedicate themselves to the cause of good. As a place of joy, we set apart this house as a place where many shall discover divine presence and divine hope. To the life that carries blessings to many, even to generations yet unborn, we offer the work of our hearts and hands to the service of humankind. We dedicate this church. Let us worship together. Please join me in reading the, lights for, the words for lighting the chalice. This is a favorite reading from days gone by. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to serve humanity in fellowship, to do in that all persons shall grow in harmony with themselves and with each other. This is our agreement as free persons in a free religious community. Thank you. And now, uh, hymn number 187 is, uh, the words are in your order of service. We'll sing that next. Stand as you are able to sing the hymn. <laughs>
Each Sunday, as we gather again, we set aside time for honoring passages in our lives. Today, we hold in our hearts and remember in our prayers those individuals and families who are dealing with illness or loss or physical challenge. Today, we name John Borden and Betsy Long. And we also remember those who are celebrating. Yesterday, a daughter was born to the Reverend Christiana Willie McKnight and husband Eric. We celebrate with the family of Karen Willie and Mike Casserly, born on the weekend of the 150th. We hold these individuals and families in the light. Information is available outside the sanctuary and at the Caring Corner in the Social Hall. You can learn more about these life passages and send a message of support. At this time, we remember others in our lives whose hopes or joys or needs call to us, those we wish to hold in the embrace of this community of faith. And today we mark the 150th anniversary of this church. As we do that, we remember those who have gone before, those who have inspired and shaped and mentored and taught us and loved us, those whose names we hold in sacred memory. And I invite us to speak in the silence any of these names. We also remember those in communities and nations far away, members of our one human family. As we enter some moments of quiet together, we honor all these. Spirit of life and love, Holy One, be in our minds so we may grasp what's true, be in our voices so we may speak for the voiceless and give courage to the despairing, be in our hands so we may work with gladness, be in our hearts so we may know our desires, be in our arms so we may embrace with strength, be in our faces so we may shine with your light. Amen. Remaining seated, we sing together our anthem, Spirit of Life, number one, two, three.
The Gospel according to John. Please. Each of us climbs in our lifetime the mountain of human experience, our own and that of our race, and when we reach the peak of the high winds and see what is to be seen therefrom, we lie down on that mountain of human experience, and the small measure of our dust adds to its height, whereby our peers and companions and those who come after us may see a small way further than we. So it is that we build each of us while we live a kind of living immortality, one that is but poorly caught in the bars and wires of the creeds we have inherited from the past, but with which we try to express this great and universal truth that the universe itself never wastes anything, that nothing is without purpose. The immortality of love, the undying nature of that which is truly good, is the, is the central message of every religion in recorded history. Our mistakes and weaknesses, and we all have them, die with us, but our victories of character remain to bless all humanity forever. For if what a person has done is good, and if what a person has said is true, then that goodness and that truth do not die, but remain forever a part of the human adventure. Philosophers call this the immortality of influence, and poets call it dying the truth along. Your daily life is your true temple and your true religion. Walk reverently in it. Author and historian David McCullough once said, History is a guide to navigation in perilous times. History is who we are and why we are the way we are. During the past three years, the Sesquicentennial Steering Committee experienced the truth of those words as we labored in love towards this day that we are now gathered to celebrate. 
let me share some reflections on our journey. The planning for the 150th anniversary began in August of 2006, when a few of us gathered under the vigilant eye of Minister Emeritus John Cummins. At that time, none of us could pronounce the word sesquicentennial, much less spell it. (laughs) Except maybe Nancy, who had a better grasp on this from the beginning than any of us. But we learned quickly, and by 2007, the steering committee had defined its mission as strengthening the life and spirit of this religious community by illuminating the past, celebrating the present, and inspiring the future. During 2007 and 2008, the energy of the sesquicentennial steering committee was focused primarily on illuminating the past and celebrating the present. As Justin mentioned, we read old sermons, sorted pictures, and wrote liberal articles. The committee sponsored a number of events, including the Faithful Founders Weekend last October and the sesquicentennial soiree in April. Our work was made possible by the nearly 200 additional volunteers that gave generously of their time and treasure to the anniversary celebration. What emerged from this focus on our past and present was a lay ministry that gave meaning to the heart of the committee's mission, to strengthen the life and spirit of this religious community. Recall David McCullough's words that history is a guide to navigation in perilous times. During the three years of planning that preceded this celebration, our parish minister departed, two interim ministers served our congregation, our associate minister went on sabbatical, and a new senior minister was called. If not perilous times, they were certainly transitional times. But the history of this congregation is a story of men and women who kept faith with their values and beliefs through good times and bad. It is a story of ministers who served this community with commitment and grace. This story, our story, became a guide to navigation during transitional times, and our congregational life and spirit was strengthened by learning this story that will inspire our future. This story is also about the congregants of First Universalist Church as people of faith. From its earliest beginnings, the congregation's stated purpose was the Universalist profession of faith, which says, we believe there is one God whose nature is love, revealed in one Lord Jesus Christ by one spirit of holy grace. As the congregation neared its 100th anniversary, it adopted the Universalist bond of fellowship and pledged its faith in God as eternal and all-conquering love, the spiritual leadership of Jesus, the supreme worth of every personality, and the authority of truth known or to be known. That God of eternal and all-conquering love of our universalist past is reflected today in our mission of spreading the universalist message of love and hope. In his book, Awakening the Soul, Unitarian Universalist minister John Morgan observes that it is helpful to acknowledge that Universalists historically did share a sense of what was at the heart of their faith, an observation supported by our congregation's faith statements over the years. He goes on to say, whether we decide to incorporate the historic Universalist faith in our own 
is up to each person, but it is important to come to terms with that faith before keeping or discarding it. The unexamined faith is not worth living. The unexamined faith is not worth living. One of the greatest gifts of learning the story of who we are as a faith community and why we are the way we are is the opportunity it creates for examining our own faith in the context of this historic universalist faith. As we stand on this edge between our first 150 years and our next 150 years, may we be inspired to examine our faith and recommit ourselves to this religious community. May we be inspired to be not only people of faith, but faithful people, faithful to this institution which has held the values and beliefs of its members for 150 years. We have the power to inspire the future with our faith and our faithfulness, truly for today and for times we shall never see. May it be so. Our offering this morning honors Dr. Carl Harold Olson, who single-handedly saved this congregation during the Great Depression and the Second World War from oblivion. Dr. Olson, in his spare time, not only saved this congregation from going out of existence, but in his spare time, he was the very first chair of Minneapolis's very first Urban Redevelopment Commission, thus exemplifying the leadership that our clergy have always given to the communities where they serve. Our offering this morning will be devoted to ministerial education. This church can be especially proud that today, from coast to coast, there are nearly 40 living Unitarian Universalist ministers who are liberal religious leaders in their communities. Give generously. Thank you. Trouble, we have known trouble in our struggle just to get by. Many times the burden's been heavy. Still we carried on side by side And when we're gone, long gone The only thing that will have mattered Is the love that we shared And the way that we cared When we're gone Together in glory 
is the love that we shared and the way that we cared when we're gone, long gone. And when we're gone, long gone, the only thing that will have mattered is the love that we shared. And the way that we cared when we're gone, long gone, when we're gone, long gone. Well, Happy 150th birthday, First Universalist Church. That is just incredible. If you can imagine, if you were born 150 years ago, you would have witnessed the rise of the automobile, the first cell phone, the invention of the internet. You would have lived through 30 presidencies and the Civil War. You would have seen airplanes invented and the first trip into space. It is just amazing that we have been here for 150 years. Kids, you know, there's something special about a birthday, isn't there? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I want you to think back to 1859 when this church was started. And what I want you to know is that the reason why it was started was for you. It was for you. The people who started the church didn't know your names and they didn't know your faces, but they dreamed of a community where kids could grow up in a loving embrace. They dreamed of a place where kids could question and investigate and grow into adults who would keep the message of love and hope alive. If there's one thing I want you to remember about today, kids, it's this. Our party wouldn't matter very much if you weren't here with us. So, what do you get for a church that's turning 150 years old? A new 15-passenger van? How about a third level with worship space for kids and meeting rooms for teens? A new painting? I'm going to let the adults worry about that. Kids, I want you to give a gift to the church today. And that gift is this. I want you to keep the message alive that we have kept central in our church for 150 years. What is that message? It's the message that love is more powerful than hate that humans are good, and that we can change the world. If you think you're ready to have us pass that message on to you for safekeeping, 
If you can keep the flame lit so that in 150 years we can have another birthday party where they can remember and thank you for keeping First Universalist alive, I want you to say something after me. Okay, kids? Happy 150th birthday, First Universalist Church. Happy 150th birthday, First Universalist Church. Adults, will you help us out here? Let's all say it together. Happy 150th birthday, First Universalist Church. Up and away like the dew of the morning. Soaring from earth to its home near the sun. Thus shall I pass from this world and its toiling. Only remembered for what I have done. Only remembered. Only remembered. Only remembered for what I have done. Only remembered, only remembered, only remembered for what I have done. Will we be missed when others succeed us? Reaping the fields we in springtime have sown. Nay, for the sowers shall pass from their labors. Only remembered for what they have done. Only remembered. Only remembered. Only remembered for what they have done. Only remembered, only remembered, only remembered for what they have done. Only the truth that in life we have spoken only the seeds that on earth we have sown. These shall pass onward while we are forgotten. Only remembered for what we have done. Only remembered. Only remembered. Only remembered for what we have done. Only remembered, only remembered, only remembered for what we have done. Only remembered, only remembered, only remembered for what we have done. Only remembered, only Only remembered for what we have done.
Hear now these voices and stories from our living history. From the preamble to the Constitution of First Universalist Society adopted unanimously February 6, 1864. We, the subscribers, feel desirous to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, do hereby form ourselves into a society that we may be helps to each other and that by our united energies we may better serve the purposes of religion and truth. And a joke from 1866, perhaps a legend of a joke, but nonetheless significant for our history. Have you seen the new First Universalist Church? No. What's that? It's where they have cushions in the pews and no hell. <laughs> Charles Loring speaking at the 50th anniversary celebration, quote, Dr. Tuttle was one of the rare men who loved and was beloved by all with whom he came in contact. He was a great favorite with the young, especially young lovers. It sometimes seemed to me that they hurried up their matrimonial affairs that they might have Dr. Tuttle marry them. <laughs> At a Sunday evening gathering in 1872, Reverend Tuttle shared the following. The process by which the infinite creator gave existence to man, the methods which he chose to construct the marvelous mechanism of this body, then enthroned within this temple the imperial genius of reason. Those processes have never been revealed. We bow in humble reverence before the mighty mystery Conscious that the eternal part has secrets yet uncovered, doors yet unlocked, and leaves of history yet unread. On January 15, 1888, the church was swept by fire. As the Reverend Marion Shutter wrote in his History of Minneapolis, great volumes of smoke issued from all parts of the great temple for hours. The roof fell in late in the afternoon. The thick, heavy walls covered with hanging masses of ice remained. The Congregational, Methodist, Unitarian, and Jewish people at once offered us the use of their places of worship, but the bereaved members decided to announce that they would hold services for a while in the Grand Opera House. <laughs> in 1889, the church was rebuilt at 8th Street and 2nd Avenue, Reverend Tuttle shared the following at the church's dedication. Our church will live as long, and as long only, as its living will be of use in the world. The question of our future is a question of faithfulness and zeal. No opportunity seems greater, no mission wider, no prospect brighter than ours. And in 1891, Dr. Tuttle wrote, Our root life, life below ground, is that part of us which draws its sustenance from the past, while our upper life, life above ground, stalk life, is related more to the present and future. As the tree cannot stand erect and bear fruit except it have support from beneath, so we cannot attain our best position and reach the highest results without extracting life and power from things behind us. 
In the early 20th century, our minister, Marion Shutter, preached these words. When I am told that I must accept the Bible as literally and infallibly inspired and without error, I ask, by what right does anyone say I am not a Christian if I refuse? Who shall demand that I accept the accounts in Genesis or the story of Jonah? Who shall demand that I accept the New Testament mythology about Jesus, the supernatural birth, the resurrection of his body? Do not tie up your religion with any unhistorical statements of scripture. If you do, your religion will last only till these statements and theories are discredited. Build your life and your religion, and these are his words, upon Christ's life. In the 1899 annual report, Reverend Shudder wrote, the settlement work in North Minneapolis has done more than anything in our history to stimulate our interest in something outside of ourselves and give an outlet to our energies. From the 50th anniversary book written in 1909, our doors are now open every day and the building is a center of constant activity such as was not dreamed of in an earlier time. Those who built this church formed a large proportion of those who built Minneapolis. The Reverend Carl Olson was a loyal letter writer to World War II troops, something his predecessor, the the Reverend Marion Shutter, had also done. One soldier, Leslie Snyder, wrote in a letter to Shutter in 1918, After receiving a letter and one of those inspiring sermons which I have many times longed to hear once more, I forgot for the moment the cold rain outside, the mud ankle deep, and the monotonous rows of barracks, and pictured myself seated in the rear of the church with the organ playing and the choir singing their Christmas carols. On May 23, 1948, the cornerstone for a new church at 5000 Gerard Avenue South was laid. Carl Olson said in a sermon, handicaps often provide strength. So it has been for us. We have been crowded here in our church house, but it has made us closer friends, both figuratively and literally. We have relinquished many of the things which we had come to accept as a matter of course but we shall appreciate them the more when we are able to have them again. This is from The Laws of Worship by Carl Olson, March 1955. Worship is a renewed self-commitment to the creative life, to the highest ideal, to the consecrated service of hopes, dreams, and aspirations. It is the practice of bringing the individual more completely under the control of what is variously called the better self, the noble desire, the divine mind, the kingdom of God, the all-highest, or simply, God. And this from our own living John Cummins, 1963. Will we let true brotherhood come as close to us as our church, our neighborhood, our job? Will we let it come as close to us as our family, How far should we really go with the great American slogan, regardless of race, creed, or color? I believe we should go all the way.
In an interview in 1981, the Reverend John Cummins said, the course of the war, in the course of the war in Vietnam, I counseled young draft resistors. Well over 500 young men somehow found their way to the church to have counseling. This from member Betty Benjamin in a 1992 interview. It was at an evening church potluck discussion in January 1967 where I heard about the beginning of an organization attempting to legalize abortion. The tremendous support from so many members of First Universalist has made it far easier to be in the forefront of the continuing and challenging controversy. Only together can we ensure freedom of choice. And these words from the Reverend Susan Milner in 1989. What brings us together is the deep and profound questions of life and death, the issues of ultimate good and ultimate meaning, the nature of divinity and of humankind. And from the Reverend Terry Sweetser in 1993. My experience with Unitarian Universalism has taught me a deeper understanding of real religion. Real religion of every kind is not about creeds as much as it is about personal struggle for spiritual depth and communal struggle for a better world. So as we move into the future, let us remember the words of the Reverend Marion Shutter, spoken 100 years ago. The great questions by which any church must be judged are, what have its ideas and ideals done for the community? What kind of men and women has it produced? And what has been the character of their deeds? Let these questions and these voices live in our hands and hearts today. Each of us here, through our words and our deeds, we have a page to write in the unfolding chapter of this church's history. Each of us has a story to share as we dream and create the future together. May it be so, and amen. It's a long road we've set our feet upon A long road we've set our feet upon And with loving hearts we walk on Loving hearts walk on
Bridges are built before bands. Bridges are built with open hands. And we begin to heal the world. We begin to heal the world. We Thank you, choir and Anne Reed, for a beautiful, beautiful piece. Following our benediction and our song of blessing, 
we will sing our recessional hymn. I ask you to just take a moment, take a breath, feel that cloud of witnesses that is in this space with us, men and women and children from our past who have laid the path, who have built the foundation, who have entrusted this into our hands. We are the future, the dream, the possibility of a liberal faith in this community. We have a deep taproot a history we can draw on. May we be worthy of this faith. May we remember that there is still much work to do, that each of us is called, that each of us is needed, every one of us, to bring love, hope, and healing into this world. May you be blessed, and may you be a blessing in this work. Amen.